As the new school year gets underway, this week on the programme, Meet the Farmers, going into class to teach children about the industry. It samples the taste buds, you know, it promotes the industry, their understanding where food it, it comes from and how it's produced. People have always got the choice of what they do, but if they care about animal welfare, it's always good to spread the word of the assurance schemes to, to give people that trust and uh, traceability. Plus, later on the menu, chlorinated chicken, anyone? Um, let's make sure if we are importing food and we, we're not, we don't have a problem with that particularly, make sure it's in equivalence with what we have to produce to. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's the start of September and meteorologically at least summer is over. Yeah, it's downhill all the way to Christmas. Uh, Maybe a Brexit stop-off on the way. We'll see. Anyway, we're back at school this week as well, of course. So I thought we'd meet a couple of people who are not afraid of joining in a class or two to promote farming. Later, we'll discuss the huge success of FaceTime, a farmer. But first, Debbie Wilson, Chair of Ladies in Pigs. She is herself a former teacher. And along with her team aboard Rosie the Van, they've uh, spent the summer touring shows. But they also do a lot of work in our schools and colleges and at other events as well. I've noticed over my years of teaching in various locations, there's a a real bit of gap in the curriculum and and the provision of of people generationally of cooking um, and understanding where food comes from and how recipes are made up. So Ladies in Pigs gives me that opportunity to be creative and link the educational side of how I think about things. Obviously, we sort of here on the farming programme, you surround ourselves with farming all of the time. Does it still surprise you how many people still don't understand about the red tractor or about what a union flag might mean on, on, a, on a piece of pork that's in the supermarket? Um, yeah, um, it is concerning, um, the, the percentage of people that we see on a share-by-share um, share basis. So it doesn't matter whether we're in deepest Cornwall or we're, you know, we're in Yorkshire or Lincolnshire or wherever we are, there are pockets of people that are really unclear on packaging. Um, so that's one thing we're really pleased to, to, to be able to spread that message with, um, with the logo, not just of Red Tractor, but of other assurance schemes as well. And the difference between a fully traceable assurance scheme of provenance of the animal and how it's been raised and, and kept against other meat that's coming into the country. People have always got the choice of what they do, but if they care about or they're really concerned about animal welfare, it's always good to spread the word of the assurance schemes to, to give people that trust and uh, traceability of where the food comes from. Like I say, it's up to people what they want to buy, how they go about it, but actually it's giving them the, the tools to, to understand what that piece of, you know, what that product might mean, where it may have come from and where therefore, it, it, you know, what might have happened to it previously before it arrived at the supermarket. When we chat with people at shows or educational events, whatever we're doing, we're very careful to, to, to say that people have got choices, but we do make it clear that the assurance schemes are there to to guarantee that the animals have been treated with the utmost of respect from the first minute of the barn to to the going into the processing and even at the processing stage the abattoirs are red tracks are assured so they have followed to follow really strict guidelines as well and on a year um, you know a year by year basis if there's things that need in the standards that we um, comply with that need to be tightened up that they're done and we have to comply with them whether we're a farmer or a producer or an abattoir, we all need to uh, comply 
with those standards. So, you know, it's a really rigorous way of producing some really high quality food. So pigs raised here in the UK, or certainly in England, um, you could almost 99% guarantee that they have been well looked after and that, that, that it's great quality meat. Yeah, uh, you know, if they're part of the Red Tractor or the RSPCA assurance schemes, um, they ha- we have um, really strict com- you know, compliances. There will always be people that fall short of some of those standards, but it's very strict of the way that people you know, have to comply. And, you know, if they want the best price for their, you know, their animals that they've raised and they've put all that uh, passion into to raising, then they'll comply. Talking about prices, let's nail in myth. Uh, British pork, it's very expensive. That's one thing that a lot of people say. It's not the case, though, is it? It's not. Um, we we are really uh, we have a wide range of supporters in the in the supermarket sector. One of which is Aldi and and Lid, you know and Lidl, where a, a more of a budget conscious shopper would be would be working at our shop at Aldi and I know a lot of our members do as well but it, it you know it's allowing that inclusivity of every budget that you can actually enjoy the highest quality meat you don't have to buy it from a more expensive source. Summer is over but the the work continues I know you're hoping to get into schools and, and to try and really you know promote the next generation if you like to either get involved in the industry or certainly to make sure they're eating pork. Yeah, we, we've always had um, some educational events on. Um, we've increased those over the last uh, 15, 18 months. Um, but then we're pushing on again. As, as you say, we might have finished with our mainstream show schedule, but we're planning to do a really big push of working in all different levels of school, from foundation level right up until you know end of education and into further education. We've been doing some pilots with different people, um, including the Arasam College, um, with some students there that went down really, really well. So in the process of you know of discussing the the progress of what we're going to do, but also working with employers who are wanting to work with GCSE students and give them the opportunity to look outside of the classroom and what the world outside has got to offer them. So, you know, the Ladies in Pigs can bring a lot of experience and information from our varied backgrounds. You know, we can help children and young adults understand the world around them as well as their little world in school. That's Debbie Wilson, Chair of Ladies in Pigs, and we've a bit more from Debbie later in the programme. First, on to our weekly agronomy update. Sean Sparling is our crop doctor. Sean, what do you make of, of Ladies in Pigs, and particularly Debbie there, showing such passion and enthusiasm, don't you think? Yes, morning, Sean. I couldn't agree more with you, actually, and that enthusiasm is contagious, and it really needs to be, because it's very easy for those of us involved in agriculture to just assume that everybody understands how welfare-friendly livestock production is, how good our livestock farmers are, how conscientious they are, how safe and environmentally and eco-friendly arable crop production is and how well-informed and well-regulated farmers and advisors alike are when it comes to producing our food and that we're producing the best, safest food, most environmentally friendly food in the world. Very easy to forget that the majority of people in the UK have no idea about that. Their only source of, in inverted commas, facts about farming are coming from the lies and misinformation which is spouted across the internet 
and social media. So if that is their only source of information about farming, then there's no wonder that there is such mistrust and derision and suspicion about what we do in agriculture. Therefore, it's vital we all take a leaf out of the ladies in pink book and just talk to people about what we do. Put our heads above the parapet, talk to people, go and actively seek out people to talk to and answer the questions that people want the answers to. You know, we should be very, very proud of the food we produce in the UK, how welfare standards are higher than anybody else's in the world, and the quality and the safety of the food we produce is second to none. So why would we want to import food from anywhere else in the world when it's already the best in the world that we're producing? That's what we need to get across to people. I have nothing to hide. If anybody wants to ask me anything about farming, ask me. I will tell you with honesty and openness. We've nothing to hide. But what we need to make sure we do going forward is we need to replace those, in inverted commas, facts that people think they know about farming with the truth that they need to know about farming. So that's me done on that one. Right, let's move forward then. Whistle-stop tour of agronomy. Still a lot of wheat to harvest. We were promised some good weather for the entirety of this week, so we'd get harvest finished. That didn't happen, did it? I've seen the most amazing display of sheet lightning I've ever seen. A hailstorm with hailstones the size of marbles has ripped through my sugar beet on top of the wold and left it in tatters um, and actually broken a shed roof on the same farm and rainfall anything from nothing at all up to 40 mils of rain across the county. So harvest is still ongoing. I've never known a year where we haven't got harvest, but now that we're officially into autumn, the days are changing, things are changing, and people will soon have to grab that a little bit wetter and probably turn the dryer on if they need to. There's been quite a lot of wheat shed in the field. If you look at some of the fields that were harvested last week, particularly the older varieties like Clare and Leeds, they shed quite badly. In fact, some of the volunteers are now six inches tall in the bottom of those crops off the grains that shed from the ears. That means that would have happened around that first week of August when we got that torrential rain and thunderstorms running through at that point. But they're still shedding now. I did some estimates in the field the other day of anything up to half a tonne to the acre has been lost through shedding. But the yields are still very, very good. And that's a double-edged sword because the higher the yields, the lower the price. And you compound that with the uncertainty over Brexit and the strength of sterling against other currencies. That means the price is falling down to levels where it's almost loss-making, um, certainly break-even or worse. So therefore, we need the higher yield to get more money. It's all very complicated, but it's just one of those years. Spring barley, quality is very good. Yields, quite extraordinary. Spring wheat, just the same. Yields, very good. Quality is very good. But because of the amount and because of the Brexit uncertainty, some of it is struggling to find a home. So complicated going forward. If you've still got spring beans to desiccate, diquat, if you're still using that, remember 45% moisture when the majority of the pods are black, that's when you go. Glyphosate, if you're using that as a harvest aid, it's a later timing, 30% moisture. That way the crop is physiologically ripe and the glyphosate won't translocate into the bean. Brooked beetle damage levels very low in comparison to last year. From what I've seen, of the samples combined yields are good two ton to the acre pretty wide and very little brookage damage that means it will go for human consumption that means a few more quid in the farmer's pockets and then we move on to sugar beet if you've got another fungicide to go on if you're planning to put another fungicide on leave those intervals watch your harvest interval 21 days with something like escolta for example if you're going to lift late then a second fungicide may well give you its money back but 
there are just one or two reports of rust starting to move in. Monitor the crop yourself, keep an eye on it and time it to when you'll get the most out of the product. Remember, the crop still needs to be growing actively to get the best out of it. And stick a bit of manganese bitter salts in it. Cost pence and it will help those crops. So then you move on to the crop that's in the ground now, the winter all seed rape, cabbage stem flea beetle just starting to make its mark now, particularly on fields where last year's volunteer crops locally have been ploughed in or disked over because they've lost that host and they've now moved in to the new growing crop. So your threshold for damage is when 25% of the leaf area is being attacked. Be on your guard because it happens very, very quickly. This time last year, the bank holiday weekend was when the activity kicked off to levels I've never seen before. If you spray with a pyrethroid and you do not kill the adults and you know that you hit them when you sprayed, it's probably a waste of time putting another pyrethroid on. Concentrate on the health of the crop. Nutrition, bit of nitrogen, bit of manganese, magnesium. Get those crops moving. Phosphate, potash, diammonium phosphate. Get that on. Keep the crop moving. That's probably the best way of growing them out of damage. And it is complicated. There are people still not putting rape in because the soil conditions are so dry, it's a waste of time. And with rapeseed, as expensive as it is, and I think there needs to be an investigation on how expensive rapeseed really is, consider and it doesn't have a neonic on it anymore i'm quite astonished at how expensive it is then if it's that expensive leave it in the bag and put something else in if you don't get any moisture because last year crops going in dry just did not grow out of the damage and there are people holding back rightly so i think so keep your eyes peeled it's all good fun isn't it isn't it just thank you sean sean sparling of sparling agronomy services this week defra's chief scientific advisor has said there's no evidence that chlorinated chicken is harmful to health therefore there's no scientific reason why it should be banned from the uk in the event of a post-brexit trade deal with the us well, as you can imagine, that's concerned many farmers here. Simon Fisher is from the NFU. He says that concern isn't really about health, though, as, as both Debbie Wilson and Sean Sparling both touched on briefly earlier. It's more to do with the standards of the chickens themselves. It's about the standards, yeah. In America, they chlorinate chicken to actually stop bugs which cause food poisoning getting into the food chain, which they have a higher incidence of in America than we do over here. Um, what we've been concerned with all the way through Brexit is that we don't inadvertently allow food in from other countries around the world which produce to far lower standards than we do um, and, and because our farmers are required to produce food to higher standards so let's just not lower our barriers if you like um, let's make sure if we are importing food and we we're not we don't have a problem with that particularly make sure it's in equivalence with what we have to produce to but I don't want to um, sanction anybody having to eat food which has been treated in this way because it's, it's, it's basically masking things which it might have. Um, so let's, let's just make sure we get the best quality food imported if that's what it's going to have to be um, and not sell ourselves down the road to the Americans. Do you think there is a sense in the Brexit talks that we are sort of selling farming down the road at all? Well, there's, there's a government in place at the moment, and let's put it, we've just, uh, you know, they've just announced they're going to suspend Parliament, who are hell-bent on getting a trade deal as soon as they can after 31st of October because they're going to have to show to the electorate they've actually done something. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, we don't want to be seeing the UK government pushing uh, for trade deals whereby we lower our standards in this country. That's not right, and it's not what consumers want. And there's also, as well as chlorinated chicken, there's been talk of hormone-controlled beef as well. Um, 
standards-wise with that? What's the situation? Um, same principle. Uh, it's been, uh, as chlorinated chicken, hormone-fed beef has been uh, banned in the EU as a whole. Just because we're coming out of the EU, there's just not a reason for us to drop our standards. It's all about standards. The NFU's Simon Fisher speaking there with our own Oliver Pridmore. On to the Open Field Report then. Kit Dickinson has the news we all want this week. Morning, Kit. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm OK, thank you. So uh, here we are, September. Uh, meteorologically, it's autumn. How are things with the grey markets? Well, it has been another negative week, week on the uh, wheat market as we progress through harvest. The Lincolnshire area is now circa 80% cut and there is mainly feed wheat and beans left to go. The feed wheats have been high yielding, but in some cases we've seen some low bushel weight, especially from the light land, which suffered in the heat wave back in April. It is important to keep an eye on milling premiums, as they are still circa £20 above feed wheat, dependent on the quality and area. Premiums will reduce, however, if we have a glut of milling wheat, so it is worth getting accurate samples as quickly as possible. Statistics this week. Canada have released their statistics on their 2019 Canadian production forecast today, and all wheat and canola figures are down. Wheat down by 2.9% on the 2018 at 31.25 million tonnes, and canola production is down 9.3% on 2018 at 18.45 million tonnes. Moving on to oilseed rape on that note, it continues to have high prices on the back of lower yields and oil content. And obviously rape drilling is now in full swing in Lincolnshire, or indeed, in some cases, finished. But the key driver will be the planted area, compared to our five-year average. With an expected reduced area again this year, it could keep prices up going forward. Barley. The barley trade has been at a record pace so far this season, with 290,000 tonnes of accumulated spot purchases reached from the beginning of July to the 22nd of August. Some of this movement has been driven by prospects of a no-deal Brexit and due to these limitations. This sort of trade will likely come back down as we enter October. Working on a figure of 450,000 tonnes of export pre the 31st of October, based on current purchases, the UK could have circa 950,000 tonnes left to export post-Brexit. So that's the update. Moving on to prices this week. Wheat, September 120 to 122, with limited carry moving forward into November at 122 to 123. Post-Christmas, moving up to 126, 127, and May, 128 to 130. As I said earlier, milling premiums are circa £20, dependent on quality and area. Oil seed rate for September is 328 to 330. November, 332 to 334. February 335 to 337, May 337 to 339. Barley for September 112 to 114, with limited carry again to November at 112 to 114 still. There are limited prices going forward on that. Beans, limited area of beans cut so far on average quality. The bean market is still yet to open. Thank you, Kit. Kit Dickinson from Open Field. It's back to school this week, and we heard earlier from Debbie Wilson at Ladies in Pigs as to what they're doing, both in and out of our schools. Well, some other farmers are working with classes without even leaving their farm. You've probably heard of the FaceTime a farmer idea. If not, you will soon. Chris Foster is one farmer involved, beaming himself into a school in Leicestershire. FaceTime farmer is about connecting the classrooms with farms which has been uh, set up obviously through uh, Lincoln Environment and Farming uh, in in their education branch. Uh, Julie Neal, my contact, is a marvellous woman 
Um, she um, has the arduous task on uh, pairing up the, the farmers with the, with the schools, um, but there's not enough of it. Um, it's very tricky to fit visits and trips through health and safety implications these days and uh, fitting around uh, curriculum. Because uh, obviously teachers have got a lot to, to do in, in, the, in the terms. Uh, so FaceTime Farming is just, it's, it's, it's a brilliant um, thing for me, especially for primary schools, you know, story time when I was a lad, 10, 15 yeah. minutes in, in, in the book corner, well now you can have an interact, uh, interactive session with a farmer, what's he doing, you know, so for example my last Skype session with, with, with the school I'm paired up with, Fussington Primary School in Leicester, uh, we were uh, preparing uh, the sheep for the show. Um, and weighing a few lambs and you know they, they get involved ask questions and it's really good it doesn't take too much time out of everybody's day either that's it because you're obviously busy as well but it, it's a good way of, of getting the best out of your time the best out of their time to really promote what you're up to absolutely um, the, um, the, the the key thing though is you know we need more on board um, more farmers more schools um, it's, a, it's about the farm to fork process um, students are very understanding in a classroom environment um, you know, they're obviously not from my perspective because I don't deal with dairy. But you know, unfortunately, there are still individuals out there that think that milk comes from the supermarket and not from the farm, and it's, they don't understand how it's produced. Well, they get to see snapshots. You know, once every two weeks, once every three weeks, 15 minutes. It's not a lot of time. Just constant communication with the school and liaising. We're doing this. Are you interested? Sometimes it, the school might not be available to do it, but other times, yes, fantastic. Let's let's nail down a time. And so, how, how did it work? You you obviously were approached as to, to take part, or did you you offer your services? Um, yeah, well, I actually saw um, it was a, a, a Facebook notification from from Leaf. Um, uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll sign up to there, not really thinking a, a lot about it. And two three weeks later, I was paired up with the school. Um, and then by February we started doing our, um, our first sessions in the lambing shed um, and then of course out in the field uh, obviously the summer obviously it's, uh, it's the holidays but in September when the kids come back I'll actually be on a tractor up and down mm. um, up and down the fields getting the, the 2020 heart, um, crop in they're, they're seeing all aspects you know no one's expecting regular sessions because obviously you've got to work with the seasons yes. in farming yeah, yeah. but if they can see a broad spectrum it get it, it samples the taste buds you know it promotes the industry their understanding where food it, it comes from and how it's produced and um, you know farmers are promoting what they do best to help a good cause a good cause indeed that's chris foster you know it really is worth getting involved so easy uh, presuming you've got a signal to get on facetime on your farm as chris said a good way to promote the industry direct to the next generation there's been a bit of a theme to the program this week don't you think Uh, not just going back to school but backing british whether it's uh, showing passion about the farming industry or raising concerns about standards of meat imports post-brexit as we discussed with uh, simon fisher earlier it's an area i also touched on in my chat with debbie wilson when i asked her how the pig industry is at the moment it's um becoming smaller um, in the numbers of people but actually we are producing a really good percentage of meat in this country we need to encourage more and more people to buy british so that they know where the food's coming from and red tractor's not just about pork and bacon that's my passion you know it's across uh, milk cheese cereals all, all kinds of things you know any of the meat products as well so you know your chicken your lamb your beef they're all you know you know under the same 
standards. Is there a fear, and you know, sadly the B word has to come into every conversation at the minute with Brexit, that we might get, depending on what happens, we might get flooded with cheap imports of of poor products, um, and that will really damage the the industry we have here in the UK. There is always that worry. Um, as with everybody, we're still really in the dark. Mm. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. There's no hard and fast, um, on paper, black and white, what's going to happen. Um, what we've got to do is keep our our industry strong in our standards, in our uh, passion for what you know the meat we produce or the animals we produce and how we care for them and try slowly but surely to say to people you know be proud of what we are we are proud to be british we're part of a, a multicultural and a, a universal marketplace but be proud of the fact that we, we produce some really really good quality food in this country and it's not only nutritious because pork is a really nutritious thing. It's got added vitamins and and for any age group of you know of needs of, of of calcium and and different vitamins, it fits all age groups. Um, but it's also lean. You know, it's a lot leaner animal than we ever used. To. So pork doesn't have or any of our British uh, red tractor meats don't have to be viewed as unhealthy. We should be really flying the flag and saying, well, you know, British is absolutely amazing. Debbie Wilson there, again, chair of the fabulous Ladies in Pigs. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Yes, on to the weather. It is September the 1st, and as I mentioned earlier, it's the start of meteorological autumn, and the weather is kind of showing us why today. Certainly a few showers possible, hopefully dry, though. Temperature's 16 Celsius, the wind from the west around 10 to 15 miles an hour. We can expect chillier nights, uh, lows around 8 or 9 Celsius, certainly to start the week, and uh, high pressure hanging over much of the UK uh, should bring a mostly dry week ahead as well. So, a patchy cloud tomorrow and Tuesday. We're looking at daytime highs, maybe 16 or 17 Celsius, with the winds from the west southwest between 10 and 20 miles an hour. Later in the week, the winds from the west-northwest. There could be some heavy rain to come by the end of the week as well, and temperatures are roughly about the norm for this time of year. For now, that's the forecast. The hourly updates will, of course, keep you fully up to date. Next week, we are into September, and for many, harvest is over. And you know what that means. Yep, the hair courses could be returning. So it's an issue we too will return to in the fight against the criminals. That's next Sunday. Until then, as ever, take care.